Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today, Kiara Adin Moore, is a born born and mostly raised New Yorker. We'll get to that. And currently turned Austinite. My I'm going to say this. I mean, I've traveled a lot. Austin is is my favorite city outside of New York. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely yes. do. Um, and we'll get into Austin a little bit. It spends her career creating unique and never before done experiential campaigns, both nationally and internationally, for major brands such as Nike, Twitter, Tommy Hilfiger, SoundCloud, Under Armour, Dell. I can name a ton more, but you get everything from Stella to Mercedes and a lot more. And she's worked alongside some of the most exceptional creative minds in our industry. And top agencies, you may have heard of, such as Mother, Droga5, 72 and Sunny, developing multi-channel 360 marketing campaigns. Some really cool stuff. Uh, Kiara and I worked together for a little bit. I was, She was a client of mine. We, we tried to make some magic happen a couple of years back, and I really had the pleasure to be inside the agency and get to know a couple of the folks there. It's incredible. And the agency I'm talking about is NA Collective, founded in 2014. Uh, pretty awesome. And we'll talk about what's happening with the pandemic and how they've had to adapt and pivot in certain ways. Uh, And she's also serves as a marketing chair for the Flatwater Foundation, which she's been on the board of directors since 2009 when it started. And something I'm really excited to talk about as a live streamer, she co-founded Yak.Live, and it's a new platform that seamlessly aggregates live content from across all of the internet. It's kind of like the modern TV guide, so to speak. You can kind of click on it. It's really cool. I was playing with it um, the other day. Um, and when she's not working, you can find her running marathons, triathlons, paddleboarding, snowboarding. I mean, she is incredibly active and alongside her and her husband, Aaron, in Austin with their two pups into what, what are the dog's names? Uh, Rufus and Walter, although I Wally unfortunately passed away last week, but um, he's um, our good boy. I'm sorry to hear that. And so let's let's change it up here. Let's keep things positive. I mean, dogs are awesome. Um, I'm excited to dig in, talk about everything, and let's get it going. Kiara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adam. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Absolutely. So let's start. You've had a really have an really interesting career. I love to rewind a little bit, and we don't have to go back all the way. We don't need <laughs> your mother's maiden name, your blood type, and all that kind of stuff. But like early on, like yeah, how did you get into this game? Yeah, I've actually been doing this really since straight out of college. I actually, my uh, my scholarship uh, to school was for accounting, so not doing accounting. I actually switched junior year and got lucky enough to jump into an advertising program that was a year long, your senior year. Um, and I kind of credit that uh, for how I got to where I am today. So I was part of ad team. It's a national student advertising competition. A lot of schools in the U.S. do it. 
Um, it's a really great experience for anybody just starting out. I highly recommend it if your school has it and you're looking to get into any form of advertising or marketing. Um, but that kind of launched, really launched me into the world of experiential. So I've been doing experiential since I started my career. It was the first year that they included experiential as a category. Um, and my internship happened to be at MKTG. So I kind of took the reins. I led the experiential part of the campaign um, and kind of the rest was history. So I got hired at MKTG pretty soon after college. Um, I don't even think I had graduated yet um, and was jumping on uh, the Nintendo team. So I was on Nintendo for a long time um, and Jose Cuervo uh, and then Hi. eventually followed um, my mentor, Heather Hustis, over to Mother. Um, which is really where I kind of grew up. I was there for about five and a half years, met most of my connections that I, and friends that I still have today, um, worked on some amazing experiences. And I just, I really credit Mother. They were doing things very differently. Um, it was very, you know, going from MKTG to um, Mother was just really, really different in terms of their approach to experiential um, you know, of course, yes, we did mobile tours and kind of the, the standard experiential campaigns, but we, we really did 360 degree marketing campaigns. So everything that we did was not just in the experiential space, but also in kind of the full 360 advertising and marketing world supported by all of the different mediums of advertising to make whatever the experience was really successful. Um, and that was the approach that I continued on. Um, after I left Mother and really wanted to focus on when we started NA Collective is I wanted to take the really creative thinking that I found um, at a shop like Mother, but merge that with um, the really detailed production and technical expertise that we didn't always have in-house. We were a pretty small team and we brought those people on, but we I wanted to build NA to have all three of those functions under one roof creative production and technical. And so that was really the vision when we started NA um, in 2014. And so we've been going ever since. I love it. That's a fantastic story. And and little known fact, correct me if I'm wrong on this, does, isn't everyone's title at Mother Mother? Uh, not everyone's title, no. <laughs> but the account, like the account folks are mothers. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's mothers. For a little while, it got interesting in Mother London. I think they had like nannies if you were a junior mother. And, oh, interesting. Um, they they have since was there every, au, everybody's au pair? just a mother. Somebody, no one's no pair. <laughs> no, babysitter. No in terms of babysitters, no, yeah. we, we digress there. It used to be that way. I, I have to admit, I don't know what they're doing these days. But um, when I was a mother, when we were like 55 people, they're obviously much larger than that in the U.S. now. But the New York office when I joined was about 55 folks. Um, and the reason everybody's like all of the account folks uh, titles were mother was because we were a flat agency. So everybody had their There's different skill levels, but there was a reason why we were all yeah. mothers. So. so interesting. So what was the impetus to launch NA Collective? Was it was it one of those things where like you you know you were ready for it, you were building up a book of business, you, you always had that desire? Or was there that one moment? Was it like you know, uh, a, a drink with friends? Was it an epiphany? When yeah. was that aha moment? It was definitely one moment. I hadn't necessarily planned to start an agency, to be totally honest. Um, when I left Mother, um, I went to a couple of other agencies and just didn't feel like they were kind of my home. It's really hard to replace the kind of the culture and the family feeling of Mother um, or what it was when I was there. So it was really difficult going to other agencies and trying to find my place and my home. I get it. 
Um, I also had a, a very broad mix of experience. Um, so I was kind of looking for, yes, the experiential, but I was like, what are all these other, you know, things that are making this experience work? And it's hard when you're an experiential because you kind of get siloed into just like, well, produce the event. And I'm like, I can produce you the best event in the world, but if nobody shows up, does it really matter? Yeah, you got to drive the, you gotta drive so the I was always asking a lot of questions. Um, and so we got brought on actually by an agency out of LA um, called B Corp. They're a great agency. They brought me on kind of on a freelance basis to build um, a skate park on a barge for Nike uh, in New York. And, um, we built that actually my co-founder of NA, Aaron Mason, and I, um, put basically like a 28 person team together built that with the B Corp team, um, in LA, they just didn't have anybody on the ground in New York. So we basically built the whole New York team, um, and kind of realized pretty quickly, like, okay, well, we've just put this whole team together. We, just we, did it, we built right? this thing in five weeks. Um, so it took us a little bit of time after that to like really figure it out and, and decide to start NA. But I think that was the moment when I was like, okay, I feel like I've, I've gotten to the point where like I can rally a team together and I can figure out a very challenging project where everybody tells you it's impossible. And you're like, okay, yeah, uh, thank you, but I'll figure it out. And I'll come back to you when I, when I get it sorted. So. So what was, you know, when you decided to, to launch an agency, like you probably had some, you know, listen, you've been experienced, you've been around, you've been in a lot of other agencies, you picked up certain things from a management perspective, but what was like that biggest, you know, moment or thing where you're like, you know what, I thought I knew what this was going to be, but it turned out not to. What was that big challenge about initially launching? Initially launching was admittedly pretty easy. We, you know, we kind of came up with the name, came up with the, with the brand, kind of put the basics together and that was exciting. And we knew we had like three, we had, we had enough money to make it three months. Um, <laughs> that was about it. We were like, hopefully we'll win a pitch in three months. Um, but okay. I think like once we won our first pitch and we were kind of taking like table scraps, right? Like really whatever anybody would throw our way. Nike actually was great. They're our first client. Um, they kind of took a chance on us and started giving us some small projects here and there. And then, um, we got invited to pitch for the relaunch of the Nike Boston store the year after the Boston marathon bombing. Mm. Um, and that was, and we won. Uh, and that was when I was like, oh my God, yeah. like, real. let me put this team together. Like there's only at the time there was only four of us. It was me and my co-founder and then two um, guys who had worked with me for about six years. They'd worked with me when I was at B Corp on a freelance basis. And so I was like, look, I can't offer you more than three months, but if you want to come on for three months, we're trying to build this agency. Um, so we all four of us like looked at each other and we we're like, okay, all right, like, let's, let's do, it. do this. So I think, um, and once we won that project, I think it was actually surprising. Like people started to notice, we started getting more and more calls. A lot of my agency folks actually, had started calling me. So that was why we were able to work with Droga and 72 and Sunny. And we still work with Droga is one of our, our favorite clients and we work with them still today. Um, but uh, we've worked with a lot of different agencies and it's been great, but that's been predominantly through my, my agency experience at Mother. Um, so when we started, we were a little bit of a hybrid. We were still building up our creative expertise. We had a lot of production and technical expertise. So working with the creative agencies was a great way to just Kind of get in there they trusted us we were essentially an extension of their team um and then with nike that gave us the ability to be creative and so we actually helped come up with a lot of the creative we actually partnered with preacher who came up with a tagline for them uh which was we, we run in mass and they still use it today That's great. um so we knew we didn't have all the capabilities at that time but bringing in a partner like preacher um 
we kind of faked it until we made it. And I think that was kind of my beginning of transitioning to creative as well. I'd always been creative, but you know, at mother, you're very specifically in your category. So I was production and um, account service. I was not considered a creative. So um, it took a few years for people to start to really give me that consideration. But I think um, working with Nike in the beginning, like I really got to flex a lot of creative muscles with them, which is awesome. amazing. It's and then great, with the creative agencies, client. they trusted us as a creative partner because they knew that our level of expectation was really coming from mother. I knew what our creative directors expected and that's my level of creative expectation right. as well. So for a creative the bar agency, was set high. they know we understand their bar. And that's fantastic. And I think that that's what led to a lot of your success. I can't believe I forgot to ask this. Where did the name yeah. NA Collective come from? <laughs> so it, so, okay. Like the truth is. Uh, we only want the truth. We don't want okay. BS here. We, well, this is you know, a hard hitting a, podcast. There's both now. sides. So there is a reason that it was called NA Collective. And we thought NA was kind of fitting because at the time we were not really applicable to the standard like nomenclature that how you would describe an agency like I was like we're not really a production company we're not really like a traditional experiential agency because we think like a creative agency but we're not a full service creative agency so we were like what do we call ourselves so that's why we went with NA Collective the background to how we got to NA in the first place was that my business partner started a Dropbox folder called NA for new agency. And it, we just kept calling it NA over like anytime we talked about NA, like it was still NA because that was like our code name for the new agency. Um, But when we started to think of it, it was like, no, it's gotta be NA. Like it's always been NA. Like to me, NA has so many meetings, meanings. So it was kind of both. It was like a tag for new agency, but to us, like when we actually started to dig into the name, the reasoning did make a lot of sense for us. So no, it's, I love it's it. kind of both. <laughs> and, you know, as a leader, I mean, heavy, heavy is a crown, right? You know, and, and I understand that, um, you know, as well, you know, having my own shop here and leadership, you know, you, you've always been a leader in some regards, but, you know, but now being a leader of your own company, um, how was that transition? And was there somebody early in your career that you kind of learned from and kind of was a mentor as far as leadership style? Yeah, I I mean, I have to credit most of where I am today to Tom Webster and Heather Hustis. Love you guys if you're if you watch this. Um, <laughs> Tom is now at Hilo, uh, which is a creative uh, kind of film and experiential production company. They're based out of L.A. He opened their New York office. Um, and Heather's actually crushing it at Impossible Foods. She went client oh, side. Yeah. Um, so she's doing great. Um, but the two of them really like I Heather was my um first boss at uh, MKTG, it was US Concepts at the time. Um, And she really taught me everything. Like we would be there until 10 o'clock at night, joking. We always ate pretzels, Diet Coke. That was like our thing. Uh, We didn't didn't eat dinner. Um, (laughs) Pretzels and Diet Coke. It's what we lived off of. Um, But she taught me the ins and outs of every budget. Because of my accounting background, I actually felt really easily into like the budgeting side of experiential. It all just kind of clicked and made sense to me. So I used to do all the Nintendo reconciliations for them. And I would work with the accountants because I just understood it really well. Whereas a lot of the other um, more junior like account executives coming in, that was one of their biggest learning curves was to understand the budget. But I think I got lucky because of my accounting background, but she would stay late with me every night, teach me all the ins and outs of the budgets and, really just kind of took me under her wing. Like we traveled to all the events together. 
they trusted me at the age of, I think I was 23. Yeah, I think I was 23 when maybe even 22. Gosh, I was young. It was like my first year out of college. And they trusted me to lead the the Mario Kart, um, the launch for the Nintendo Wii, which was a huge launch. We, we had a, a 10 fun. city tour. We built custom Mario Karts um, and they trusted me. And I was like, hands down the youngest on the team. And so I learned everything really quickly from them. And then I followed Heather to Mother and she led the experiential team at Mother. Um, Tom was a partner at the time. Um, well, he became a partner of Mother Experience. Um, and Tom and David uh, were the two partners of Mother Experience. But I worked really closely. I mean, David Fuller, you are great as well. I learned a lot from you, but he left a little bit earlier on. So Tom and Heather just really taught me really everything I know. I mean, the way that they looked at experiential, the always kind of network. Tom always had a guy that he knew that he was going to call. Um, so just like really how they how they looked at the industry, how they looked at the experiences, and then how much they valued their team as their family and the way that we worked. Um, kind of a lot of that. I think it was it was a little crazy and hectic and chaotic. And so there's also some things that I learned that organized when we started chaos. NA, I was like, we're going to be really organized and we're <laughs> going to, we're going to do things a little differently. Um, but I credit everything I know to them. So that's fantastic. I mean, mentors are so, are so important in life and I'm, and I'm nodding as you're saying this, cause I look back and I think about my career when I was working, you know, in advertising and those early mentors that kind of just threw me into the fire, you know, trial by fire, right? Just go in there and do it. But they had faith and they had confidence and they knew that there was something there that, 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 you know, to nurture. And I, you know, I implore everybody, if you don't have a mentor, you know, definitely find one, yeah. um, someone that you, you know, aspire in, in different capacities. So let's switch gears a little bit. You know, we're yeah. recording this show tour in, uh, end of September, 2020. There's our little time capsule stamp on here for prosperity. And let's talk about the last seven months. I mean, I hate to use the word unprecedented, but I will, because that's what it's it is. Like this, it is, yeah. it is unprecedented, right? Uh -huh. um, live events, hospitality, travel has come to a yeah. halt. Let's talk about this. Um, how has it affected the industry, your business, and let's talk about the pivot. That's a three-parter that all kind of rolls into one there. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, yes, 100% unprecedented. We were having, hands down, our busiest year we've ever had at NA. We were slammed. We were planning for two South by events. Um, we had an activation at ACCN. We had some, we had demmed, we had, I mean, we had so many things between February and March um, between Twitter and Sennheiser and Tinder, we were working on two festival activations for Tinder. It was crazy. Um, and then I'll never forget March 13th, everything came to. Yeah, that's a date I canceled my South by trip. Yep. Yeah. Um, everything came to screeching, screeching halt. Um, and we had a lot of clients that, I mean, our clients were amazing. Like Twitter was one of the first to pull out of South by they pulled yeah. out actually a week before or almost two weeks before they canceled it. They gave us a call on a Sunday. They were like, just so you know, we're pulling out. This is what's happening. This is why. And we were like, we totally back you up. Like, no problem. Thank you for the heads up. We knew at that point that it was probably going to start unraveling pretty quickly. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, it did. It unraveled very fast. And over the next month or so, I would say everything got canceled. 
Um, And so it was tough. I mean, we furloughed the team. We got lucky. We got the PPP. So we were able to bring them back. But there's no business. Um, Not there. There's nothing there. And our clients, I mean, I, I talked to Twitter the other day. Our client, Tanya, was so sweet. She wrote us a note back. She was like, we think of you guys all the time. And I was like, we just miss that. We miss our clients. I mean, our clients are our friends. We've worked with them for great. years. And we're just like, oh, man, like we haven't seen you guys in so long. But normally, we'd be knee-deep planning CES right now um, with the Twitter team. But, yeah, it's just crazy. Everything everything slowed down so fast. And, unfortunately, the, a lot of the team is still furloughed. Um, we've been chatting with a lot of our clients, a lot of them either had marketing budgets pulled or, um, are waiting to just there, there, I think it really depends when you look at the industry right now, there are things happening, especially now this, like in September, things are starting to pop up here and there. I think what you'll see a lot of are, um, there's a lot of drive-ins. We've seen actually saw a really cool one. Um, I'm not sure what production company did it actually. So kudos to whoever you are. But there was a Dermalogica uh, drive-in in LA for beauty influencers that I thought they did a really good job. They did. Um, they screened like the parent trap and you drove in and you got a mask and they like talked you through how to do it. And you did the mask in your car and then they served you food and everything else and then talked you through the products. And it just seemed like a nice way of doing it. Um, my friend put on a, a festival called Seltzerland, um, Kate Leventhal at Cannonball Productions. Seltzerland. Yeah, Seltzerland. So, and it's actually going to multiple cities. It, they just did Chicago as the first one. Um, and it's on golf courses. And it's a socially distanced hard seltzer festival where you get a tea time and you go from tea to tea. So that, you're in really small groups. So you have the built-in social distancing. Yes, so it's, it's, it's causing companies, brands, and agencies like yourself to be innovative to and pivot, to rethink it, right? Because we're not going to be on top of each other, right? The, the festivals, I mean, for no. at least the foreseeable future, for the next couple of years, so you have to think about how does a brand still have that experiential, you know, the experience? Yeah. How do they engage with their customers? There's lots of ways to do it. I think the interesting part, um, I was actually talking to one of my friends the other day who's in the industry as well. I think one of the interesting parts, and if you're a brand watching this, I urge you to think of it this way. Don't think of your experiential agencies as, okay, they just do live events. So they don't know how to respond to a brief that needs to be open-ended and we don't know what the solution is. I actually think that experiential agencies are extremely well-suited right now to think out of the box and think of unique ways to be able to create an experience for a consumer that is maybe in real life, maybe virtual, maybe a combination of both. There's so many ways to think about it, but the briefs that we're getting are like, hey, we wanna do like a virtual conference. And I'm like, we don't do conferences normally on a regular day, let alone am I gonna do a virtual conference? It's just not our bread and butter. There's a lot of agencies out there that are great at that, Mm -hmm. but we're gonna stay in our lane. We're not just gonna take a project to take a project. Like there's so many better ways to brief an agency. And and you kind of hit, you hit on something really interesting too, and it's not just it's not just outside the box thinking as far as the execution, but if you're a brand and thinking about your resources, what your agency roster looks like, an experiential agency, and you hit the nail on the head is not just an, an activation, but these folks at your shop, the creative minds, yourself, the ones that think about how to engage with the customer, putting the customer first, that's a type of thinking. Because we need to step outside of the box. We need to think about different ways to engage and be in front of people. Yeah. What Experiences is, don't have to be 
one thing. They don't have to be in person. You're still creating a story. You're still creating a journey for a consumer. You just have to create it in a different way. What's all time, whether it be at NA or in your past, what's your favorite experiential activation that you've ever well managed, been at? Like, what's your favorite of all time and why? Ooh, one that I put on or like sure. that my team has put on. Sure. Let's, um, yeah. Ooh, I would have to say, so it's a toss up, but I'm going to go with this. One. So our Tommy Hilfiger, Rafael Nadal strip tennis match was hands down. I was there in, 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 in the park, right? In, in, yes. uh, yeah. In the park. I worked right there. I was there for that. It was crazy. It was I was my like, favorite. what the hell? Is, why is he naked? Yeah. It was my favorite for a few reasons. One the fact that Tommy Hilfiger as a brand would be comfortable and let us throw a strip tennis match in Bryant Park for like the whole world to see was awesome. It made perfect sense because they were launching Tommy underwear, Tommy Taylor and Tommy fragrance. Rafael Nadal was the ambassador for all three. So it made perfect sense. And we were able to script it in such a way that we could tie in like all the products into the show but it was it was my favorite, I think, because it was so dynamic. Like it would it would have been easy to just say like, oh yeah, let's do a strip tennis match. But when you it, it sounds simple in concept. When you actually dig into the details, there are so many pieces. I actually scripted personally. I think this is why it's my favorite. I actually scripted the entire match. What everybody Were said. Were you thinking of him <laughs> in your head as he as this whole thing is happening? Like yeah. Well, I yeah. also had to script. <laughs> I also had to script how many pieces of clothing everybody could take off. So we worked right. really there were some closely. Limits, even in New York City, right? Yeah. Well, e- each model had had regulations of like what they could or couldn't take off. So like some could take off their shorts, but others wouldn't take off their shirts. So we had to get really crafty working with Tommy Hilfiger's wardrobe department and like every, right. every, um, every uh, model had a different number of articles of clothing that they needed to have based on their, I had to understand their skill level of tennis. Play. Well, that was the big thing too. It's basically, correct me if I'm wrong, it was basically like strip poker. And if you lose a point, you would have to take something off, right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I watched so we, it. I was yeah, walking by for lunch and I stopped and I wa- it was incredible. I was, I was yeah. there at this event. It was a surprise. So we weren't allowed to promote it in advance. So we were only allowed to promote it the day of, which was which was traditional New York like permitting rules. Yeah. Um, but it was in Bryant Park, so we were kind of primed. It was around lunchtime. Like we mm-hmm. we chose the timing very carefully. Bryant Park is a great lunch destination. My favorite place in it's the city. Super super viewable from all the skyscrapers all that are around yep. it. So it was it was a great location. But there was it was so much fun scripting it. And my big win was when. Jane Lynch, who was our host, um, told me that she didn't have any edits. And I was like, it's funny. It's funny enough. Like, you're really? And it was like, I yeah. felt like I, like, I was like, I made, I made it. I made it in life. Like, That's amazing. <laughs> Jane Lynch thinks my jokes are funny and like doesn't have any edits to what I said. I was like, this is amazing. Um, cool. But it was just, it was one of those like amazing New York moments where our team was on point. It was one of the biggest events we'd done as NA Collective. It was our first, it was our second year in business. So it was 2015. Um, and it was just, it was such an epic event. And I got to work with um, Tom, my my old boss and mother. He was a very good friend of Avery, um, who's the CMO of Tommy. And so she asked if he would consult. So I got to work with Tom like every day, um, even at NA. So it was just, it was a great it was a great project all around That's and it was story. hugely successful and 
speaking of like live streams, which I know we're going to talk about later, it like the video got 111 million impressions in an hour. Unbelievable. Um, we had periscoping um, ball boys and girls who didn't catch any balls, but that's okay. Um, they were, you know, periscoping and taking selfies from the, from the side. So just an all, <laughs> all, all around, he checks all the boxes executed, you know, that's, that's incredible. Right. And that's when you're like, I really love what I do. And it affirms that you made the right choice of your career and in your life. That's, yeah. that's awesome. So speaking, you know, speaking of pivots, I mean, let's get into it. Let's talk about Yak. Um, yeah. Live streaming is all the rage. I mean, I am a live streamer. Um, yes. Alice, where did Yak, like, how did this come about? Was it another yeah. one of the aha moments? Yeah, actually, we, so when, when COVID first hit, you know, obviously, we, we all kind of, the leadership team at NA all kind of sat down. It's the four of us. So it's my um, two business partners, Aaron Mason, who's my co-founder, Kevin Starks is my other partner, um, and then Burke Lauderdale, who's our group creative director. And the four of us kind of sat down and we were like, what do we do? Um, and so the first thing we thought of was can help needs help. We ended up helping um, kind of bring the experiential industry together in New York and in Austin um, to really just help provide services, resources, et cetera, um, for the frontline workers for COVID. So we were able to actually our citizen M clients donated a bunch of iPads um, that we got into the hospitals so that people could talk to their loved ones. Um, we were able to help pair one of our logistics guys with a, a group that That's was awesome. delivering food to frontline workers. Um, so that was where we started and we, we wanted to do something good first and then our but the second idea that came up at the same time that when we launched Can Help Needs Help was Burke um, is a father. He has a, a young son who's, I mean, at, at the time, I think he was not even, he was maybe like 18 months or like a year and a half. Um, and he was trying to find live streams. He was like, I can't find anything to watch with my son during the day, like we're trying to find stuff. And then the, the, the things that I would want to watch, I keep He's missing. Yeah. And he's like, I keep missing them. I can't find them. Like I find them after they happened. And it's so frustrating. Like, why is there not a TV guide for live streams? Like, where is it? And we searched and we searched the internet and we were oh, like, it doesn't exist. Oh my God. <laughs> and we were like, wait a second. Like it doesn't exist. This is bizarre. Like how did nobody think of this? And so we dug into it further and then we decided that the, like we were going to get can help needs help off the ground first so that we could help people. So that was what we did. And, and we did that. And then we were like, you know what, like, let's, let's try and build this thing. Like, I don't know, let's see what there is. And so we brought on a developer and a UX UI designer. Um, we designed what we thought the, the initial uh, website would look like and uh, kind of pretty quickly realized like, okay, it could be a little bit bigger than I think we think it could be. Um, and so, it. yeah, so we got lucky. Um, our team came back for the PPP um, and we kind of went to them and we said, look, we're gonna split the team in half or actually in thirds. We're gonna have some of you helping, can help, needs help. Some of you um, working on proactive pitching. We're just gonna do the best we can to give our clients as many ideas as we can. Um, and even not clients, like we were just like any ideas that you guys can think of, um, we'll share and get it out into the world. And then the rest of you, we'd love your help with this new thing. And they were like, what is it? <laughs> we're like, well, it's, a, we're building it. So it doesn't exist yet, but it's a really great idea. We think, um, and were they, so were they, they right behind it from the beginning were there, was there any trepidation? They, were, they, they had a lot of questions. Like, what does it mean? What does it mean for NA? 
you know, I think all the fair questions and we were like, look, we don't, we don't know. We're going to try and build this thing. We're going to see if it's something interesting that people are, are excited about and we'll go from there. Like, do you want to jump on the journey? And they're like, sure. And we only had them. We only had them for eight weeks. And like, I love, I love our team so much. I wish we could have had them for longer. Um, But we got, you know, we got the name sorted yak, um, yak yak.live. The reason for yak.live is yak is actually a really cool animal. If you haven't seen them, Um, they live at like the highest altitudes in the Himalayas and super high altitude. And they cool. Yeah, they're they're like gatherers. So they go out and they gather things and they carry heavy weight and they bring it back. Um, And so the idea was we really liked it because that's kind of what we're doing in our minds. We're searching the highest levels of the Internet for all the live streams, gathering them all together, bringing them back and putting them in one place. Um, Plus, we thought it was just a really cool name also. Yeah, there's both sides. (laughs) But um, so we called it Yak.Live got the URL, awesome. got all the social handles. Um, and so we spent the first month like just building, building the platform, scraping as much content as we could, building the brand, logos, color palettes, site design, everything. Just from scratch, right from the beginning. From scratch, yeah. We started in um, early May, essentially. And um, we got it to a pretty good spot by the end of June. Um, We added some more functionality to make it a little bit more friendly for creators. We also realized um, pretty early on, we started kind of talking to a few different advisors. We have an advisor that's based in um, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. He's a kind of a startup growth um, guy. He works with a lot of startups for uh, venture capital firms. And so we started talking to our advisors and pretty early on realized um, in order to make it a true business, we needed to figure out kind of what our growth model would be. And so right. we focused on creators. Um, so it's, it's, it's essentially a two-sided marketplace. There's the creator side, um, which is our, which is what our growth is based on. So the idea is right now we're scraping all of the content. We're finding all of the content creators and getting them up on yak.live. Um, about a month ago, we started reaching out to content creators. We're starting with micro influencers and really anybody who's, who would be interested who finds us organically um, to get them on the site. So we have a form up now where you can essentially put up your profile photo, your, your handle, your creator name, um, any of your social handles, and then you can add as many events as you would like. So any events that you're live streaming, we'd love to put them on yak.live. Um, and then we share them on um, our social handles and our newsletter, et cetera. Um, the goal, part of what we wanted to build or are still building our full creator profiles. Um, they're just, we're just not there yet. So right now. It's an evolution. Yeah. We're, it's, right. action, I mean, it takes action, time. Action over perfection, right? You got to get the MVP out there. You got to get into market. You got to test it. Now, how much? Yeah. You know, we go back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Like that experiential mindset. How did you apply yeah. some of that to thinking about the 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 end user and the customer here when you were designing Yak? Yeah. So, I mean, I think everything that we do from a live experience standpoint, like you always just want to make things easy for people to find, easy for people to use, and easy for people to experience. I think we took that approach with with Yak.live when we um, were kind of building and designing it. So. The, the reason um, that it is viewable right now in basically TV guide format, so you can see what's happening live right now, um, is the way it's set up when you go to the homepage. But once you start searching, um, it actually changes the way that the search results are shown hmm. to you. So it makes it a little bit easier. So if you're looking for yoga, for example, if you type in yoga as a search term, 
it changes it and it gives it to you broken down by day. So you can search the future a lot easier um, and find things. So you had to develop the whole algorithm as well too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, And and the creator pages as well. So like for you, Adam, like I know we're talking about maybe adding some of your live streams to yak.live. So we would create a creator page for you. So if you search for your name, your creator page would come up and it would have all your live streams on there. So it's going to have a history as well too. So you could go backwards wherever they're stored, if they're archived. They're not archived they're not on, on your Yacht. site. Yeah, not they could on link Yacht. to the creator's archive. Like if I have, exactly. it on you, if I have them posted on YouTube or another platform, they could find them there. Yeah, and the goal would be, the goal is for us, once we start to build out these creator profiles a bit more, is we will add an archive section. So you'll be able to go in and include any links that you would want to archived content so people can see the types of content that you normally produce. Um, the other cool thing about Yak.Live is that it's it's platform agnostic. So if you, for example, Adam, you do most of your stuff on YouTube, but then one day you want to do something on Instagram um, or you're partnering with it a brand matter. and maybe they're on Twitch, it doesn't matter. Right. You can have your schedule across any platform. You can have four different platforms if you want. I know there is some great software like Restream yeah, and a few others that allow you to stream across multiple platforms. So you could even give people the choice to view it on Instagram, YouTube, or so we include all the platforms that your event is live on. That's amazing. And Kiara, what excites you most about this project, this endeavor? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I wrote an article the other day for the Vendry about kind of like the future of live streaming. And I saw another one that came out today on Mashable. I think the interesting part is that we as live experience creators have been live streaming for years. We've been, I mean, we've been live streaming since I don't even know, like I've been live streaming in my career for events for probably like 13 years, but the tech has been there. It was, you know, it was before there was Instagram live and you needed a satellite truck and it was like a whole, it was a whole thing and it was expensive, but we were still doing it. And I think what's really interesting is how easy it's now become for anyone and everybody to live stream. Hit a button anytime, anywhere, any place. Everyone's a broadcaster. Everyone's a, news co- everyone's a content creator. Everyone's a news source. Everyone has a story to share. Yeah. And I think it's just going to continue. I mean, people are saying like, is it just COVID? Will it continue? It was always there. The live streaming industry was growing. It just COVID hit the, you know, it's like they hit the light speed button on the on the yeah, cruiser the, and the like COVID bump as they like to call it the COVID bump. Exactly. It just expedited the process that was already going to happen. So I think for me, what's really exciting is I think that um, live streaming, we're seeing just the beginning of it. Now the technology is going to get better. There's a lot of different functionality within it. That's going to get better. I think we're going to see more shoppable live streams. Yeah. I in, think in we're going to, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we're going to see, um, content get better, like just even from like the equipment standpoint, quality and, production, you know, quality of production. And then I think the ease of the content, I think that Yak.Live, like I do really think that there's a need for it because the more platforms there are, the harder it is to keep up with all the creators 100%. on all of the platforms. And they really do go across multiple platforms. Right. So being able to find it somewhere and we're going to start curating a little bit more so we can also I mean, give like recommendations. Right. And, and, and there's also ways to monetize that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just really exciting to see where it's going to go. And then from a live, like a live in-person event experience, I think the interesting thing is now we're just going to live stream everything. 
So any live event that why we not? do, it's why wouldn't, there's why wouldn't always you? It going to everybody. be a live stream experience. It builds loyalty, retention, affiliation. I mean, especially from a creator standpoint, if I could build my community, I mean, this is, this is fantastic. It's a great product. We're going to link it up as well. The podcast is going to be on there. So let's bring this home, Kiara. Yeah. Um, I have a series of questions that I love to ask every guest. This, okay. this, this show is my masterclass. I learned through osmosis. I learned through conversation. Kiara, what does the word authentic mean to you? Oh, um, I think authentic means like you're true in, I mean, it could be authentic in a number of different ways, but I think you're just true to who you are, what you do. You don't try and fake it to become something else or, or put a front up of something else. I think you're just, you're, you're true and real to whatever your core values are. I love it. What's the greatest, the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every single day? Oh, no one said this is going to be easy. Mm. I'm going to go with one my mom told me, which is do what's best for you and always stay true to yourself. And when you're making decisions and if you do what's best for you, it's generally speaking going to be best for everyone else around you. If you try to appease every single person's decisions or what they want from you, you're never going to appease everybody. And then you're going to be stuck. That's a good one. I love it. Mamas know. They, moms mom, know mom, they're so good <laughs> mama's know best and, and your mom should definitely you know be proud so you know we've been talking a lot on this show um about silver linings during the crisis um yeah some feast or famine some companies have innovated they found amazing things here i would love if you could share one personal silver lining and one professional silver lining that you've experienced over the last eight months sure yeah um let's see professional silver lining i would say um, I've learned so much going from a self-funded agency um, and building that to startup world and, and tech world has been so amazing. I mean, it's been, I feel like I've been like getting my MBA in the past four months. Like I've met some amazing, on the job. amazing, amazing people. Um, and I've been part, I've joined a number of different like women's groups, et cetera. I just think that I've learned so much that it's opened my eyes up to beyond, you know, what I knew as just, you know, I, I did feel for a little while, like, okay, I know how to do experiences. I know how to, I know how to run my agency. Like, you know, I want to continue, I want to make sure that I'm always continuing to learn. And this has given me that opportunity to just continue to learn a new space, new connections, like new way of doing things. I mean, the VC world and angel investing world is whole new area for me. So um, but it's been great. People have been so nice. Everybody's like, it, you know, it's scary. It's nerve wracking. I'm like, I guess I'm used to pitching to clients all the time and doing podcasts. So like to me, pitching to VCs or talking to them has been really great because I, I just think that they're like a wealth of information and knowledge and uh, I just want to learn. So I think professionally, that's probably the silver lining. Personally, whew, it's been tough. Not going to lie. I stress fractured my hip. Um, the literally second week of, 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 uh, of, uh, quarantine, I was supposed to be running a marathon in the North pole, oh, no. um, that got canceled because of coronavirus. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Crazy. I was supposed to be in the North pole the week that I found out that I stress fractured my hip. So I guess That's there's a, a silver lining there. Um, but I think it's just been really nice to be home, like working from home with my husband. Um, you know, like I said, our, our pup passed away. Um, but I think I got to spend the last five months home with him every day. So, it, I mean, that is probably the best silver lining I could have asked for. 
Um, and we got to go to Colorado for a month and work remotely and bring him. So I think he got to go run around and hike and do all this stuff. And we we didn't know he was sick at the time. Mm. So, you know, I think everybody just kind of got to have a great summer and go do some of these things and work remotely. And we've, I've never been able to work remotely. I mean, we always had events and we always needed to fly somewhere. So being, being home and and nice, right. To be grounded remotely. Yeah. It's been, it's actually been really nice. And um, we'll get back to it. Yeah. I think it's just, that's, that's probably been the nicest part. It's going to be hard to adjust when we all to go back to offices again and put our leggings on the bottom and we'll, we'll we'll certainly get back to it. And Kiara last, last but not least, right. You know, those tough days, right. Those tough days when, you know, on March 13th, when the reality set in that you had to furlough or let go people that were your family and your agency, when your business, which relied so heavily upon people being together when you were at that low point, right. And you look back on other points in your life and your career, which weren't great. And you had to pull yourself up and you really had to dig down deep inside and, you know, harness that inner tenacity that drives everything that you do on the flip side of that, you know, we just spoke about the time that you have with your husband and your dogs and being together and you want to show extreme gratitude. Kiara, what is your North star? Oh, my North star is happiness always. So no matter what gets you down, my mom did the other thing my mom always told me is there always is a silver lining. So you just have to look for it. So every time when things are going bad and for my husband and I, we've had thing after thing after thing, like personally, that has knocked us down this year. But every time there's a reason, there's a silver lining, there's something that you can look at that was positive about the situation and can make you happy in some way. If you walk around thinking, oh, poor me, oh, this horrible thing, like, yeah, take it, take a day, take as, take as many days as you need. Sometimes it's like a few days because it's right. real bad. Take a few days, cry, watch TV, binge Netflix, whatever you got to do. And then know that you like, I know if it goes more than for me, like if it goes more than two days, I got to stand myself out of it and I got to pull myself out of it. Like I'll give myself a few days to wallow or whatever, but then snap out of it, pull yourself out of it, put on a happy face, figure out what the lesson you're supposed to learn from it was, learn that lesson and then figure out what's going to make you happy next. Tremendous. That's, that's, how I, that's how I approach it. That's awesome. Kiara, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I am confident that the audience, our listeners, and hopefully some of your friends and audience will gain a ton of insight and value. Where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Yeah. So um, NA Collective is na-collective.com. Um, also, our Instagram is we underscore r underscore na. Um, my personal Instagram is Kiara one, one, five, probably need a better name. I've had it since I don't even know how long, um, but is that your AOL handle also? It was, <laughs> it totally was. Um, it's C H I A R A one, one, five. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm usually pretty good at responding to my messages. Um, and yak.live check out yak.live. That is the website dot live is it's not yak.live.com. It's just yak.live. Um, check us out on Instagram. We share um, and highlight a variety of different live streamers all the time. So if you're looking for something to watch, check it out. If you live stream, hit us up. There's a form on yak.live. We'll make sure your content gets up there. We'd love to have you. Um, yeah, I think those are those are all the places. We did it. 
Good yeah, stuff. Thank Yara, you for having you. me. Absolutely. This is fantastic. And everybody who is listening and following along, thank you so much for spending some time with us. You know where to find us, thepodcast.com. Also, Newsflash, we are live on Amazon Music. You can find the podcast on Amazon Music, which is fantastic. I'm excited to try that on Alexa when I get home later. I don't know if it's going to work. Alexa, play me the podcast. We'll see what happens there. And remember, take care of each other. Be kind. Wash your hands. Stay six feet apart. And catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. To join the conversation, search the podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepodcast.com.